You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. If you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to look today. As we continue in this series, just simply entitled Believe. To believe. To believe is to have a deep conviction that results in an action. This can seem so simple, but it's something that we have to recognize that where there is no action, there is no belief. It cannot truly be called belief until there's an action that is connected with it, until there's something that is, that is followed through, that you can say you believe something, but if there's not an action that follows that up, then your belief is limited to something no more than just an opinion. And we are easily, easily filled with opinions. And in fact, we know they're opinions, and we can't call them belief, because if we call it belief, then it becomes something that is, sta- that is staple in our life, that it doesn't move, it doesn't change. We hold fast to that. But when we have opinions, how many know those things can change? Those, those things go according to how we feel. And our, our faith in Christ, our belief in Christ, cannot be limited to an opinion, that I feel this way today, and I feel a different way tomorrow, but that we hold true to this conviction, that we believe in in Jesus Christ. Of course, just coming back from Mexico and, and uh, having opportunity to uh, do some ministry and, and just a great team. I want to say thanks to, uh, to uh, Bill and Sharon Lehu for, for leading the team and just did a great job. And, and uh, the, the other uh, 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 10 folks that joined on, on that team and, and uh, just the great work of, of projects going together. We were able to do projects there in the orphanage, hang out with those students. I encourage you, if you've not been on a mission trip, this is a great mission trip to take. It's not too far away. Just, uh, just uh, on the other side of the, uh, the border there in Yuma, Arizona, and uh, it's a border town, and it was good for me to experience that. Of course, we've known of, of this, uh, this orphanage for a number of years as our church has been participating in that, uh, in that outreach and going there, but it was really good to see that firsthand for myself and uh, just to be a part of, of that ministry. There was a gentleman that we had met. We'd taken a day and, and uh, had gone to visit some people uh, that they, they called shut-ins, and uh, those that were uh, either uh, terminally ill or not able to, to come to church, whatever their condition was, there was a lady that we had gone, and, and uh, in fact, I, uh, there, I think at the end there's a picture of her. You can see a picture uh, of this uh, lady here who we had gone to visit, and on Sunday morning, uh, we sat through the service, and the pastor was kind to uh, interpret the service in English, so we were able to be a part of the, the service, and afterwards, as we were at the altar praying, he asked me to pray for folks. So he speaks English and Spanish, and so he said, uh, uh, he said, Pastor, he said, please, please pray, uh, pray, pray at the altars with us. And so I'm going along, I'm praying, and uh, I'm, I don't have an interpreter or translator, there's no one with me, but as I'm praying, I, I prayed with a couple folks, and I came across this, this, uh, this lady that was there, and I just felt so strong in my spirit that, that there was a condition in her body, and that the Lord was healing her, that she was healed. And I began to pray. I prayed in the spirit. I, I prayed over her, but I just felt that there was healing. I thought, man, I wish I had, I had a translator, somebody that could come and just share. I don't know what's going on in her body. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know. She didn't look sick. I didn't see anything that was evident there, but I just sensed in my spirit that God was doing a work in her body. And so we, uh, we of course had service that day, left. The next day as we went for outreach and going to homes, the, uh, the individual who leads the outreach there, he said, we're going to go to 
a home of a lady. And as we showed up at that home, he began to tell the story. He said, this woman has cancer. The doctors have said there's not hope. There's not any hope for her. She's got another checkup. But she's, uh, she just started coming to church the last couple months. She gave her heart to the Lord. And uh, as we go into the, the place, he tells the story. As we walk into her, into her home, what, would, what is called their home. As we walked in, I saw her there, and it was that woman that I prayed with on that uh, Sunday morning. And I was able to share with, with, through this translator, this interpreter of what the, the Lord had spoken and just declaring that she's going for tests in a matter of two weeks. And she said in her, in Spanish, as it was, it was translated back to me, she said she believes that in two weeks she's going to go back because she felt that God has healed her, that there's a healing. And in two weeks she's looking to go back. I'm looking forward to hearing the report from that, that outreach coordinator who's there in Mexico and believing and praying because this is not a coincidence. I, I say this to say today, listen, there's not a coincidence that the timing of God, the, the impression that he puts on an individual's heart and the timing of going, we could have gone and visited any shut-ins across that city. It's a large city. It happened to be that same woman. How many know that's not coincidence? That's God ordering our steps and putting us into place that when you try Trust and walk after God. It might not look like hope today, but you set your eyes on Christ, and as you walk in Him, He will lead you to a place of victory that He causes all things to work in our lives, that He wants to bring about those greater things in our lives, believing for this woman to be healed. There was another man that we had met, 57 years old, I believe, and uh, he's last year the team had gone to visit him, and he was laying in bed with such pain, could not walk, and just crying in bed. That was how the team found him last year. This year, this is how the team found him. Sitting in a wheelchair and even displaying his ability as he pulled himself up slowly, but he was able to stand on his own. He, gone, he had gone from not being able to walk, and the doctor said there's nothing that can be done, to now he's sitting in a wheelchair. The pain is, is gone, and he's able to stand now. And here, a year later, this guy has completely changed. He says to me, he says, only the Lord, as he told the, the story, he said, it was God. I trusted in God. The doctor said there was nothing they could do, but I knew a better doctor, is what he said. I knew a better doctor. And he said, that doctor has healed me. He said, I live every day trusting Jesus, trusting in God. In the front of his yard was a bed frame, and uh, it was sitting there, and, and uh, he's pointing to that. He said, uh, he said, I prayed. He said, uh, God, I asked God for a bed. He said, I needed another bed in my house. And, and a man came along with the, this, this on the back of his truck and he was loading up trash and stuff to take for, for scrap because that's the livelihood of many of them, finding whatever they can to take it to scrap. He saw the guy and he said, uh, he asked him what, if he would sell the bed and the guy said he'd sell it for 100 pesos, which is just over $8 uh, US dollars. And the guy, uh, the, the man in the wheelchair, he said that was all that he had. So he gave because he had prayed to God that he would have a bed. And here this man was with this bed frame on the back of his bed. So he said that was God providing. And he said, and I only had, he said, all I had on me was 100 pesos. He said, so I knew God gave me what I needed. And then he handed that over to the guy. I said to him, I said, he's, he, of course, he's living by faith. He's believing God. I said to him, I said, when did this happen? He said, just a half hour ago. As I stood there around that bed, I said, oh God, this is modern day provision. I thought of 
Elijah, Elijah uh, of course, sitting by the, the brook and, and uh, the uh, ravens coming and providing in a place of, of barrenness, in a place of drought, in a place of difficulty. How many know that God is not held to the circumstances around you? God is not controlled by the circumstances around you. He is in control no matter what the circumstances might be that are around us. We say we believe. I believe. We call ourselves or we're referred to as believers, right? If you're a part of the church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're referred to as a believer. We might even ask people, hey, are you a believer? Or we refer to people as you're a fellow believer. We are believers. In order to be believers, we must be people who activate and stand upon that faith that we have in Jesus Christ. We say that we're believers. We want to ask ourselves today, do we act like we believe? We're in week three of this series. The first week we connected our belief with the act of prayer. We talked about if we believe that we can ask anything in his name or if we believe that he is a provider, there should be an act of prayer that's connected to that. You can, we cannot say that we believe that God will meet our needs if we're not praying and asking God. If we say we believe, then we must be people who are praying. Every belief must be connected with an action. And if we believe that God is a provider, then the act is that, the, the, that we should be people who pray and people who call upon the Lord. I want to look today at another, uh, another uh, a belief that we have and connect the action to it. And here's the belief is this, that we believe that every person deserves an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that every person deserves. Now, I know that's a strong word because here's the reality. We don't deserve anything. Here's what I believe. There are two things that we deserve. There's only two things that we deserve in life. Number one, we deserve death because we're all born into sin. We have the right to die. That is, that is our right as, as individuals, as humans. We, we, we have the right to death, or, or we deserve death because of sin that has entered the world. Aren't you thankful that God didn't leave us to what we deserve? But that by his grace and his mercy, he provided a way for us. We deserve death. But here's the other thing, the only other thing that we deserve is this. We deserve the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's why we deserve. Because he paid such a high price for it. He paid such a price so that we might know. And so we deserve, or not just we deserve, but we believe that every person deserves an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is called good news. We understand that literally to translate that gospel, it means good news. And when it's something that is good news, we realize that good news must be told. And the gospel is summed up in John 3.16. And there's probably a lot of people here today who know John 3 16 if you don't know a lot of the Bible if you've not memorized let me encourage you become someone who reads the word and allows the memorization or the word of God to get inside of you but this is a scripture that if you don't know or if you've not learned I'd encourage you to start with this one but most people know John 3 16 and the word says this that God so loved the world God so loved the world it didn't say God so loved his people. It didn't say God so loved a certain group. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And here's the reality. When that is the gospel summed up in that scripture, that word that stands out, it says they should not perish. How many realize that just because it says should not doesn't mean they won't? Should not means there's an opportunity not to. We should not 
engage in the things of the world. We should not fall according to the things that we should not die. It doesn't mean that we won't. It means that God has given an opportunity. And it's a free will that every one of us are born with a free will. You're not, we're not getting to heaven today because we belong to a certain group or we grew up under certain prayers or we've had certain things happen around us. We will only get to heaven by this one thing and that is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and surrendering ourselves. That's an important belief because there is, the, that's an important thing for us to identify because there is only one way to get to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ alone. We must believe and of course if we believe that that's good news, it means we've got to be people who are sharing that good news with others. Here's the, act, the, the, the connection I want to make to this belief. If we believe that every person, number one, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to bring salvation, and if we believe that every person should have the opportunity to hear the gospel, then are we connecting the act or the action of being individuals who are involved in telling the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. 2 Kings chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, I want to look at the scripture here. In 2 Kings chapter 5, if you grew up in Sunday school, this might be a familiar story, the story of Naaman. Be reminded as we read this, or maybe consider this today, and just put this in your mind, that Naaman is not an Israelite. Naaman is not a, Naaman is not a God follower. Naaman is not of the people of God. Naaman is a Syrian. He's an outsider. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman. He was the commander of his army because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. If you don't know what leprosy is, Leprosy, of course, is a skin-eating disease that when you get it, it's highly contagious. You will die. There's no cure for it. You, you, the only thing that you're left to do is stay away from others so you don't infect as many other people. And so it's a, a disease that is, that is, that is life-taking. Here it is. Naaman was a mighty warrior. He had great esteem, but he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. He would have been in such high esteem that they would have given him a maid to, for his wife. It would have been a gift. And here's Naaman held in high position, high esteem, high honor. And he's given a maidservant for his wife. Verse 3, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 700 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel, now listen, the servant girl who was a slave, she said, if only he could go see the prophet, Elisha could heal him. If, she, if he could only go see the prophet, he would be healed of leprosy. They had no idea where to find the prophet, so they began at the place they thought to start. They went to the king's palace. 
They go to the king's palace because if you don't know, if you don't have your GPS, you don't have your profit detector on, you don't know where to find the profit, you're going to stop at the closest gas station to try and find out where you might find this guy. And for them, they went to the king's temple or to the king's uh, tabernacle or, or place of uh, or palace to see where is the prophet? Where is he now? Where is the prophet staying? And so he shows up at the king's house. And here's how the king of Israel responds. The king of Israel says when he read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Here's a man who seriously just wants to be healed. And here's how the king looks at it. He wants to pick a fight. He's being mean to me. He's missing the whole perspective. He's missing what the, instead of seeing the need, he sees the threat. Instead of seeing the opportunity, he sees the offense. Instead of seeing a moment for God to be glorified, he sees a place where he's threatened and he allows this defense to rise up. And the Bible says that he tore his clothes and he said, what is that? What does this man think? So he says, as he tears his clothes, verse 8, says, but Elisha, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to the king. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Which, by the way, it's important here that it says that Naaman went with his horses and chariots. Once again, just to point out his high esteem. Not everybody had horses and chariots. The only way you got around the horse and the chariot is if you were somebody. And here's Naaman. He is somebody. He shows up in his horse and his chariot. Isn't it interesting? He's got the nicest clothes. He's got the greatest mobile or the greatest car that could be out there that day. He's got the greatest things around him. He's got esteem. He's got ability. But he's suffering with leprosy. Here's what it says, verse 10, but when, but Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. How many know that ought to be good news right there? I mean, imagine that. I'm dying of leprosy. I'm, there's a skin-eating disease that's all over my body. I have no hope. And the prophet comes out with a messenger. And the messenger says, hey, if you just go down to the Jordan, it's not too far away. Go down to the Jordan, dip seven times. And on the seventh time, when you come out of the river, you'll be healed of leprosy. Wouldn't you think somebody would say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, let's go to the Jordan. No, here's how Naaman responds. Here's what Naaman says. Naaman says this. Verse 11, but Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me because I am who I am, by the way. I thought he would come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, the Abana, and the, the Farpar better than these rivers of Israel? Why, should, why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Man, offense can be an ugly thing. He went away in rage. How many know he's still leaving a dead man? He's not leaving any different than he showed up. As I was reading this while in Mexico getting ready for today, I thought, oh God, how many people have come and have been in your presence and been close and been around you, but then for whatever reason, for whatever reason, 
They leave and walk away when they were so close to what you have and what you want to do in their life. For whatever reason, sometimes it might be that I came out of crisis and I came in because there's something I'm desperate. I need a help in my life. But the moment I either don't feel that need anymore, I begin to back off and retreat. And I'm no longer walking and pursuing and and making my purpose to, to walk after God. Here's Naaman. He turned around and he went away. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. Notice here, his skin became as healthy as a young child. You know what? He was born again. He was made new. Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us to catch your heartbeat, that we would allow you to make us new. And Lord, that we would carry with, this, with, with strong belief the desire that you want to make others around us new in you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us today as we look at your word. I pray that you would guide and direct us. And Lord, stir our hearts to respond to you, to your words, not to man's words, not to, not to man's ideas, but to your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You understand or you have heard this before. Our culture has this uh, statement and this saying, and it is this, drink responsibly. It's water. We're okay. You've heard it said, drink responsibly. And the understanding of that is that there's an encouragement to not drink alcohol and to drive. Now, let me just out front say this. I want to make a connection to this, but let me just out front say this. The Bible says, number one, that we should not be drunk. So you shouldn't even get drunk if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible says not to get drunk. And so therefore, we should not even, not even be getting drunk, so it shouldn't be an issue. Thank you for the amens. That's right. The Bible says not to get drunk. The other thing, the Bible says to abstain from the appearance of evil, the very appearance of evil. So I can tell you, you will drink responsibly if you, number one, don't get drunk, and number two, don't even bother with it because it's not even of any value. But let me connect. You understand that the Bible, or, or you understand that our culture has this perception, and it wants us to, it wants the people who, who drink, who, who take in alcohol, they want them to drink responsibly. It's their best way of saying, hey, make sure you do this with responsibility, because if you mix this with other activities, or you mix this in the wrong places, that it could be harmful. It could cause issues in driving. It could, it could impair situations and bring difficulty in life. It's saying to drink responsibly. We're not condoning. We don't believe in, in, alco- in, in consuming alcohol. It's never even tasted. I've never even put it to my lips. I just kind of lied. I'll tell you the truth. I was six years old and I did taste alcohol. And the reason I taste alcohol is because my grandfather had a tap right beside the root beer tap. And I thought it was root beer. And when I poured it, it wasn't. He changed that, by the way. That was back 30, 30 years ago. So he fixed that. But I remember that hitting my mouth, and I thought, who in the world would ever drink this? So at the age of six, I was convinced that's not even worth having in my life. Not to mention my mom would have beat me. I would have gone to heaven really early had that occurred in my life. 
So it's never even been an issue for me. That's not, we don't condone it. That's not, that's not anything. Of course, the Bible says not to get drunk. That's, the, that's the, what the word of God says. But there's this connection that when there's a danger or when there's an irresponsibility, it causes a danger. It causes things to be careless. We can do things without thinking. You understand their, their desire in telling people to drink responsibly is to say, hey, think of the consequences so you don't make foolish choices. I believe one of these things, and here's what I want to share with us today. I believe we need to believe responsibly. We've got to believe responsibly. You see, because we can believe things, and if we believe and we understand the consequences or, or, or the things that are connected to what it is that we believe, if we say we believe in the good news, then we must be compelled to share it. If we say we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we believe that there is hope and salvation in Jesus, it's difficult for me to understand that we could say we believe it, but we don't say it. It's difficult for me to understand or to think that we believe in something so important, so valuable, so of, of such, such, a, uh, such esteem and something that is so, so intricate in our lives and, and in our, our peace with God and a relationship with God that if this is so important, it's hard for me to understand or to think that it's okay to just not share it. I think there's a problem with that. There's a disconnect. There's an issue. We carelessly speak sometimes without faithfully responding there's a story that I heard a, a, long, a number of years ago, a story of Blondin. In 1855, he was one of uh, uh, the original, part of the original Barnum and Bailey, one of the great acts. He, would, he did a tightrope uh, uh, act, and he would, uh, was a tightrope artist, and he was well-known. I believe he was from France, and he was a well-known individual who would travel. He went to New York, and he had set up a display, and he was going to walk across the Niagara Falls. And everybody thought this is crazy. There was no, there was no rope underneath or no uh, net to catch him. And he was walking across the uh, Niagara Falls. And there were individuals as he's going across the Niagara Falls that everybody's there watching him. And, and it says that it was about 1955 when he started saying, I'm going to walk across the Niagara Falls around, I'm sorry, 1855. And in 1859, he walks across the Niagara Falls. And as he goes along, it says that, that he carried, of course, the, the, the balancing bars. He went across and then he also came back. As he walked from New York to Canada, he came back and he stopped in the middle and he lowered a bottle into the, into the water and pulled it back up while he's standing on the tightrope and drank water over the Niagara Falls. It was said that he carried a wheelbarrow that had, that had a, 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 a coal stove in it. And he would carry the wheelbarrow and he balanced himself with this wheelbarrow over the Niagara Falls. And he made an omelet. Over the Niagara Falls. I, why, I don't know why you would even do that. But he was on display. There, there were things that, that, that he would just put in display. And he went back and forth. And everybody would just cheer. They said, Blondin, you're the, you're the greatest. It was said in this story that I heard that it was asked of, of uh, Blondin. As he said to a group of people waiting for his arrival on the other side, how many think that I'm the greatest? How many believe that I'm, I'm the greatest? And the crowd erupts. Everybody's excited. Blondin then has the wheelbarrow and he says, is there anybody who would go in the wheelbarrow with me? And at the first one, everybody said, Blonda, we believe you're the greatest. But the moment he said, who would then go across the Niagara Falls with me in the wheelbarrow? All of a sudden, silence. You know, sometimes it's in our life the same or in our, in our walk with Christ that we can say we believe, but when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, silence. Kind of like Elijah when he was 
on the Mount Carmel and it said that there was a, a, a showdown between the, the prophets of Baal and the true God. Elijah said, whoever calls down fire and, and whoever calls, causes fire to come down, that is the true God. The prophets of Baal are going along, but Eli, Elijah asked, the, uh, Elijah asked the, the people who are there, he said, if God is God, then serve him. He said, but if it's, if it's Baal, then serve him. He says, who will you serve? And the Bible says there was silence in the land. There was silence. Unfortunately, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes silence takes in. Belief without response can be a deadly belief. Let me ask you today, do you believe or do we believe that Jesus came to save the world of their sin? Do we believe that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone? Do we believe that there is a perishing for those who do not believe on Jesus Christ? Does what we believe line up with what we're doing? If not, we got to ask why. There's something wrong with the belief. Here's Naaman, and he's found here with leprosy. And we've already mentioned from the scripture, he, he's a, a mighty warrior. He's a commander. He's a leader in charge. He's got, he's got status. He's got ability. He's got reputation. He's got everything. But here it is, in the midst of all that he has, he's dying of a great disease called leprosy. He's dying of a great disease, and in his home is a young maidservant who have been captured. Now I want you to understand this. Here's the parallel for us today. It doesn't matter what your talents and your abilities are. It doesn't matter what you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what you, your giftings, your talents, anything that you can do. Every single one of us are dying of the same disease and it's called sin. And the only cure is Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are dying of sin. We're dying because of that act of, of sin that we've all been born into. And here's Naaman, and he's in a place where he has everything. It reminds me of the scripture that Jesus said in Mark when he said to, to his disciples, he, he said these words, he said, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Isn't the soul more valuable? What profit is it? What good is it that you can have everything else? And here's Naaman, he had everything, but he was dying. And there's a world that is around us that they might have everything. And understand this, there's a world that has a lot of stuff but the people who have a lot of stuff aren't the people who feel the most joy and peace because there's a fight to either get that stuff or there's stuff that controls you and those things that doesn't bring about and there's a dying on the inside here's Naaman and inside his home or the place where he lives is a young girl doesn't give her name it just says she's a maidservant it says she's a maidservant and she's captured from Israel and so here she is in Naaman's home in a place where she doesn't belong. A place she didn't ask to be. A place she didn't want to be. Her home was not there. She wanted to be at home in Israel with her people, but she's at a home that is not her own, and she's captive, or she's held in this place that she doesn't belong. And while she's there, she says this, I wish my master, I wish this man that I'm serving, I wish the master of this house would meet Elisha. I wish he would see the prophet, because the prophet could heal him. Do you realize this young girl could have had an attitude that's what you get when you capture people and don't serve the Lord. She could have had an attitude towards Naaman. Naaman's come down with a great disease and Naaman has a disease and because of that disease, he's dying. He has everything and she could have had the attitude. That's what you deserve. Her attitude could have been, that's what you get when you don't serve Jesus like I do. 
You're in the world. I'm not in the world. And therefore, my life's better than your life. I've got good things. You don't have good things. And that's, she could have shook her finger at, at Naaman. She could have said, that's what you get. She could have said, that's what happens when you, but here's what the Bible says. She wished, she made a statement. I wish my master could see the prophet because he would heal him of his leprosy. Let me ask you today, what is our attitude towards the world? I gotta be honest with you. I watch the news sometimes and I see the things of the world. It's yucky. I mean, we've said this already and the Bible says we're, we're in the day where good is called evil and evil is called good. If you stand up for truth, you're wrong. If you stand up for lies and whatever you wanna do, chaos, you go get it. It's messed up. We live like a maid, this maidservant in a world that we don't belong in. At least we shouldn't belong here. We live in a world that we don't belong in and all these things that are going around and we've got to be careful that we don't become the people. That's what you get when you practice that kind of living. That's what happens. Here's the good news. Jesus died to save the alcoholic and not only in saving him, yes, saving him, he's able to do that, but he's also able to heal the liver that needs healed of that cirrhosis, of that, that cirrhosis of the liver that may have occurred because of that alcohol. God is not only able to save that person from their sin, but he's able to restore whatever has been occurred in their life, that he is a God who restores and makes whole, that he's able to bring into order. Here's the response we've got to be careful of. Let me ask you this. What is your attitude when it comes to the world around us? Have you ever had to check your attitude and your thought because you may have carried that thought of what's your attitude? Here's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter two. Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let your attitude be like Christ Jesus. And here's what it says. That though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God, he made himself nothing. And he took on the role or the position of a slave. Here's this slave girl. What's our attitude? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come as we close this morning and looking at the, the world that, that might be around us. And I wanna, let's just sing that hallelujah. You've won the victory. Death could not hold you down. What is the attitude that we have? And if we're, if we're gonna uh, carry out a uh, compassion for a world, I want you to see the king. When the king comes along, the king is there and he's not honoring the Lord. Naaman comes to the king and says, hey, I've come to get healed. The, my king and Syria sent me with a letter and I've come to get healed. And the king of Israel said, who do they think I am? Have you ever felt overwhelmed because of all the needs that are around you? Be honest. Have there been circumstances and issues around you and you felt overwhelmed? Raise your hand if you've ever felt overwhelmed. I read this one day and I read how the king responded and I thought, oh God, I don't know if we're too far off from responding that way sometimes. We feel the need that we have to fix something. 
that we have to work this out. You know what? We, gotta, we will believe responsibly when we recognize that we need to replace or we need to put worry or worship in place of whatever the worry might be in our life. When those things come and those things happen, it's an opportunity for us to point to Christ. Here's all the king had to do. All the king had to do was point the way to Elisha. That's all he had to do. He didn't have to heal him and just play softly this morning as we close. He didn't have to, he didn't have to heal him. He didn't have to do it. All he had to do was point the way. You realize the responsibility is not on us. We're not the healer. We're not the ones who make it work. And when those circumstances and situations come, could there be a worship that rises up in us and says, oh God, this is an opportunity for someone to see how glorious you are, how awesome you are, how good you are, that this is an opportunity, that this is an opportunity for you to show up in this moment. Let me just give you these things this morning as we, if we're gonna believe responsibly, if we're gonna believe responsibly, we need to allow practice to replace theory. My concern is that we do a lot of ministry or believing in theory, but not as much in practice. I don't want to go to the physician who has a lot of theories. I want to go to the physician who has a lot of practice. I don't want to go to the physician who has a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions. I want to go to the physician who said, I've seen a lot of results. I've practiced this. I've seen this. We believe responsibly whenever worship replaces worry. I was, uh, we were in Phoenix yesterday and uh, Bill, Bill and I took the rental car back. And as we were taking the rental car back, uh, right there in, in we, it was in Phoenix and this gentleman's sitting in a pickup truck and on the passenger side and as I walked by, I just had one of those, this guy needs a, needs a touch from the Lord. I walked past, then I walked back. I said, that's how I usually say it to people. I know you don't know me. I don't know you. And this is what I felt. I said to him, I said, I just, when I walked by, I just saw that there was this wall of opposition in front of you. And you're staring at a wall. And I don't know what that wall is, but that's just what I saw. The man began to weep and he said, uh, recently was paralyzed. I didn't know that. He said, recently paralyzed, assistance has been hard to get. And I said, I don't know, I didn't know what your opposition was. I just knew there was opposition. I said, I can't do anything about it, but I know one who can. And I said, I just want you to know that he stopped me because he wants you to know that he knows what's going on in your life. I can't fix it, but I know one who can. His name was Sean. And I prayed with Sean right there in Phoenix, Arizona at the gas station while Bill's filling up the van and we're getting ready to head to the airport. I asked Sean, do you know Jesus Christ? He said, well, I grew up around it. Sean, do you believe in Jesus? Do you know that he died for your sins? His response was this, I'm learning to believe it even more. I don't know what all that means for Sean. But I had to say to Sean, I can't heal you. I can't do anything for you, but I know the one who can. You know, it would have been a lot easier just to walk by and say nothing. 
Can I tell you, I've walked by moments and I've thought, man, I should have said something. Have you? You realize Naaman was turned into a new man. He was young skin all over again. And the only reason that happened was because a maidservant who lived at a place she didn't belong spoke up and said something. See, the Bible says that God, or we read in the Bible that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We call it the Great Commission. How many know it's called the Great Commission? And I've heard it said this way, be careful you don't make the Great Commission a great suggestion. That we make it a great suggestion. Who is it that we can just point people to Jesus? There might be people coming and they have needs. We can't meet their needs, but we can point them to the one who can. It was 1970 or 1971, a young boy was playing out in the front of his house. He went down over a hill after a ball, and as he went after that ball, his parents heard the sound of a tire screeching, and as they looked quickly, they saw their son laying on the side of the road, and unfortunately had been, at the age of six, was, uh, was killed right on the side of the road in front of their home. And the reason he was killed is because just down the road was the VFW. And in 1970 or 1971, a man left the VFW and swerved, couldn't find the right way to drive, and hit my uncle when he was six years old. I never met him. All I know is this, that when you don't practice responsibility... It can be dangerous. Can I tell you the same? We have the powerful truth of of hope in our hands. Do you know that? And if we don't handle it with responsibility, there could be danger. Dads, if your life at home doesn't line up with the life that you say you believe in the word of God, there's danger in your children's lives. Dad, you're causing a great danger when what you say doesn't line up with what you do. You're setting off a grenade. You're setting off explosives. Because there's a danger that when we don't believe responsibly, we can injure people along the way. And I think as well that we would have a passion to say we need to tell a world that's around us. Would you just right where you are, would you just stand and with your heads bowed today and I'm just going to ask even now the Lord is putting someone in your heart that you need to share hope with. There's a Naaman that's come to your door. There's a Naaman that's come your way and they've got everything they need but what they really need they don't have. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. They don't have hope. And you're in a place where you don't belong because we live as as foreigners in a world that we don't belong in. And they've come along. They're now at our doorsteps. They're they're the hurting who who have been injured by sexual immorality. They're the hurting who have tried to find hope, but it's not come in the means that they've looked for it. And they're at our doors. They're in our workplaces. They're in our schools. If we'd be like the maidservant who would just say, oh, I wish. And here's what her wish was. Her wish represented her attitude. And she had an attitude that said, God, I pray that you'd bless them. 
I pray that you would save them. Would you just begin to pray for that person right now that might be in your world? Maybe it's a son, a daughter. Would you just begin to lift them to the Lord? Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.